3: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My
4: name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Folks, I'm recording from a very remote location this week, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity to speak with everyone today. We are recording today's strange news segment on Monday. August 16th, and some deeply troubling things are happening across the globe. Wherever you live, you have probably already heard about the chaos sweeping Afghanistan as U.S. forces make a hasty retreat and city after city after city falls to the Taliban. The recent footage of massive crowds mobbing the airport to escape Kabul bears a shocking similarity to the fall of Saigon in 1975. Our thoughts as individuals and as a show are with the citizens of Afghanistan, many of whom were born after the events of September 11th, which sparked the U.S.'s most recent 20-year period of activities in a country historically under siege from one foreign government to the next. It seems the graveyard of empires has once again proven its nickname true. And as we record, the Taliban is re-implementing draconian bans on music, human rights, especially those of women, and much, much more. We'll have a full episode on the way. But for now, please be aware that this is a profoundly complex situation with a lot of history that isn't often mentioned. It's a complexity that isn't being fully explored in most Western media. So if you are listening and have personal experience in this region, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, please write directly, dieheartradio.com, or give us a call, 1-833-STDWYTK. But for now, something different. It's often said that the course of true love never did run true, and it seems this observation is just as relevant beneath the waves as it is on the shore. As we've discussed at length in the past, the world's oceans are in a state of crisis, and human pollution has created an existential threat to an enormous chunk of the world's sea life. Rising temperatures, oil spills, plastic everywhere, you name it, You know, living in the ocean was never easy, and now the creatures beneath those waves are essentially playing the game of life on hard mode. Scientists still don't understand the full spectrum of long-tail effects and consequences that come from dumping so much junk into the water, and this goes far beyond the harrowing photos of turtles caught in plastic six-pack rings or, you know, fish whose bodies are riddled with microplastics. Yet this isn't the typical story about waste. It is a striking one. And for context, it's important to say that according to the International Union for Conservation of Nature, at least 8 million tons of plastic end up in the ocean every single year. Furthermore, plastics in general make up 80% of what's called marine debris from the surface waters all the way down through the abyssal plain to deep sea sediments, it is literally affecting every single kind of maritime organism. There's no real exception to this rule, but the humble hermit crab and a couple of other crustaceans are having a weirder time than most because, you see, the hermit crab and some of these other organisms may actually be uh, into plastic. Doc, can we get some kind of like sexy R&B music? There it is. I mean, into plastic, like into plastic. Quiet storm level into plastic. Here's what happened. A research team at the University of Hull has found an additive in plastic named oleamide, is causing hermit crabs to get kinda hot and bothered, as well as some kinds of shrimp. Uh, When they're exposed to this chemical, their respiration rate increases, which indicates some sort of excitement. What kind of excitement? Well, it depends on who you ask. Some people claim it's a kind of attraction. Record skip, what? No, seriously, it's true. Oleamide is known to be what's called a sex pheromone or infochemical. This acts as a stimulant for some marine species, including things like hermit crabs and shrimp. The researchers specifically found that, quote, oleomide also has a striking resemblance to oleic acid, a chemical released by arthropods during decomposition. And since hermit crabs are scavengers, they might misidentify oleamide as a food source, which creates a trap. Oleomide, which most people probably haven't heard of, is a carbon plastic additive. It's used as what's called a slip agent. Uh, that's a lubricant that's put on plastics that need to be released from molds after they've been shaped. This stuff, Oleomide also helps the internal structure of plastics flow smoothly. And it's used in polypropylene, which is in a ton of things like uh, food containers. But it's also an organic molecule that is found naturally in human blood plasma and animal pheromones. In something called the cleaner shrimp, this stuff, oleomide, has been found to uh, help catalyze a mating response in sexual partners because they, they sense this pheromone, and this pheromone signals to them that it's time for, you know, a little adult shrimp swim. So some pop science news sites focused purely on the sexual angle here. But researchers and experts like chemical ecologist Paula Schirmacher are quick to note this chemical may trigger different responses in different animals. So, yes, oleomide could help trigger that mating response in cleaner shrimp, but in hermit crabs, Schirmacher says the substance seems to trigger something a little more like what we will call food attraction. It's a feeding stimulant. I mean, maybe it's best to think of how excited you might be if you've been craving pizza all weekend or all day and then you happen to pass by a pizzeria and you smell that fresh baked pizza aroma, you know, and you can, you know, you can smell the garlic and uh your stomach is rebelling and trying to steer you toward this place that smell gets you on board, right? That smell probably Nudges you toward going to a pizzeria or going to you know it could be barbecue whatever you smell when you're hungry uh this this is the same reaction those hermit crabs may be experiencing, but the thing is the smell of pizza probably doesn't get people amorous well, I mean most people you know live your life as long as you're not hurting anyone, but most people would just say, mm, pizza's delicious, not like Mmm, pizza, yeah. So that's the long and short. There is a substance in waste plastic that smells like awesome food to some marine life, and it's the pheromone equivalent of a booty call for some other marine life. Didn't see that one coming? Cheers to anyone who had that on their dystopian bingo card, right? Uh, So putting aside bad jokes about being catfish, this research should be making a bigger splash. It's profoundly frightening to realize just how much a single substance can affect wildlife in such a specific set of ways. Oleomide, let's remember, is just one of many, many chemicals associated with plastic being dumped in the ocean right now. So we have to ask ourselves, what about all the other stuff going beneath the waves. How do these chemicals affect wildlife? And how can humans know which chemicals and which effects to research? The problem is, is vast. It is mind-boggling. And again, as we record right now, as you're listening to this, civilization continues to pump stuff into the world's oceans. While hermit crabs and horniness or getting most of the headlines here the reality is that this is the tip of a large looming iceberg of unknown consequences so what do you think fellow conspiracy realist what else could be happening down there beneath the waves and what happens to humanity when these unforeseen consequences affect life on land what do we do when this bill comes due signing off from an undisclosed location
3: Stay safe. Let's talk soon. Oh, man, that was, that was a great story. Uh, I'm sorry that we weren't all together to discuss that more, but I'm really glad that we learned about it. Uh, I want to jump back really quickly, Noel, if that's OK with you, to Afghanistan. I wanted to talk about that today on the episode, but we, we figure it's going to be better if we compile all of our information into you know one major oh, stuff yeah. they don't want you to know.
1: Well, it's an ongoing story, obviously. I mean, we're going to keep hearing more and more about what led to this. I mean, we know what led to it, right? But it seems like uh, a no-duh moment where it's like, of course, this is going to happen. It wasn't the whole point of like being there, occupying Afghanistan for all these years. Isn't this like exactly what we were trying to keep from happening—the uh, Taliban reoccupying Afghanistan? You know, for all of these years, and yet the moment we uh, we take off, uh, here it is. It seems like a real um, critique of of you know all of this uh, this investment we've put into that country and all of the you know time we spent there.
3: It is a. Weird situation, a, a tale of a quagmire as old as time, right? And Ben was right on there when he referred to it as the place where uh, countries go to die or, or empires go to die, Ooh. Afghanistan. Uh, I, and I want to talk about it further when, we, when all three of us can be gathered to discuss. But I want to point out just something really quickly, which is the rapid nature of what occurred. Right. how quickly this happened. As Ben said, we're recording this on August 16th. That's a Monday. And on the 13th, last Friday, as we record, I want to read you this, just a few things from this article out of ABC news. It says Taliban fighters executing surrendering troops, which could amount to war crimes. U S officials say the U S embassy in Kabul has also urged Americans to evacuate Afghanistan. So that was happening on Friday. Uh, There were um, a lot of alarms being raised because the Taliban was on a a heavy offensive against many of the cities in Afghanistan as of last Friday. And they had been doing so for not that long, but the offensives had been tracked by Western news sites for quite a while. I want to read two things from that article, quote, the U.S. embassy in Kabul has also urged Americans to evacuate Afghanistan immediately amid fears that the capital could fall into Taliban hands in a matter of weeks. That was on Friday. Yeah. A, a military analysis said the city could be isolated in 30 to 60 days and be captured in 90 days, a U.S. official told ABC News. But that timeline seemed even more accelerated Thursday as the Taliban claimed another, uh, another city, the third largest in the country. So that happened on Friday. Then on Sunday, yesterday, over the weekend – Here's uh here's something from the Daily Saba, S A B A H. Here's the title. Afghan President Ghani relinquishes power. Taliban form interim government. Jesus. <laughs> um so and, and in between those two stories, also on Sunday, they also took over Bagram Air Force Base, one of the major, I don't know, icons, I guess of American and Western power within the country. Mm -hmm. They, they took that over. It was, there's a prison within that air force base that housed over 5,000 people. Those are Taliban fighters. Those are uh, ISIS fighters. Those are all kinds of people there. The Taliban took the whole thing over and began releasing prisoners all over the weekend. Uh, It's just insane. And I cannot wait to discuss this further in a full episode. (laughs) Biden
1: summed it up nicely in like the most, uh, again, no dust statement of the year. The truth is, uh, this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. Um, and I I get it he's making a political maneuver he says he didn't want to pass this on to another administration this is uh, he's been the fourth president to preside over this uh, decades long conflict that has always you know quagmire is the word of the day it seems like it's always felt like that and it was also complicated initially what led to the invasion in the first place so it's kind of been a thing that's you know been inherited and kind of serviced over the years and like it's always felt like it's been one step forward three steps back so maybe he wanted to get out of there um and just be done with it but it's also like not a great
3: look uh and a lot to unpack because the history of it is long and very complicated that's right and we're not doing that now nope but but we will soon for now we're going to take a quick break hear a word from our sponsor then we'll be right back with more strange news
1: And we're back with more strange news, uh, potentially uh, another whiff by the Biden administration. Um, this one a little lower profile, but uh, the ramifications could be uh, equally as, as distressing as, as what's happening over there in Afghanistan. Um, probably seen a lot in the news lately, or at least on social media, um, more so on social media, I would say, even than in the news, that uh, fentanyl, the synthetic opioid, um, has really been wreaking havoc on um, people. causing tens of thousands of overdose deaths a year Um, in your local communities or in your local scenes or whatever. You may have started to see people posting uh, screenshots or image macros or whatever, talking about street drugs being laced with fentanyl, Um, which, as as we know, we've talked about it before, especially in our big pharma episode and about Purdue Pharma in particular, how little fentanyl it takes To cause a deadly overdose. It's like there's images online where you can see a penny and then you can see some crumbs of fentanyl next to it. And it's literally like one or two milligrams that can cause you to absolutely drop dead. And And, and it
3: has a lot to do with what, what type of fentanyl it is because there's so many different cousins like chemical cousins. Thank you, Matt. That's a big part of what today's
1: story is about as well. Um, It's sort of a two-tiered story. Um, But so again, with those, you know, shares that you might be seeing on Instagram about, you know, it's about looking out for your friends. If you know any addicts or you know any users, I mean, plenty of people do. You don't have to be an addict to be a drug user. But um, cocaine, um, MDMA, things like that, there is or has been a lot of concern about these street drugs that are laced with this potentially deadly substance that can cause an instant overdose if just by, you know, inju- uh, ins- insufflating I believe is the word for snorting or injecting just a few grains not grams, mind you, grains um, and so there's a lot of like information or call to action on making sure you get this uh, overdose deterrent called Narcan, um, which is uh, it's like a, a little inhaler and you can literally save someone's life. It's apparently very very, very powerful um, and rare relatively easy to get. You can get them at pharmacies. There are places that are passing them out for free and teaching classes on how to use them. So it's a lot of the stuff that I've been seeing is about like being prepared and watching out for your friends and maybe carrying one of these around with you. But the story for today is about uh, a bit of a... um, PR, let's say, misstep, the San Diego Police Department did. Because, yes, while we know this substance is very, very dangerous, it is still possible to fear monger about it in ways that could actually do more damage than create positive outcomes. And this is, I think, what is happening with this story out of San Diego. Essentially, the San Diego Police Department did was they released a video, which essentially it, it, it almost looks like you're watching a news package um you've got stand-ups from these different officers um but you have this body cam footage of a young officer uh, handling something evidence of some kind during a traffic stop in a in a trunk and then all of a sudden Passing out just like literally keeling over on his back. Then you have this uh, very heroic footage of the body cam, the perspective shot of his partner, unpacking one of these Narcan inhalers from the blister pack and then administering it to his buddy. Um, Then he's loaded onto a gurney and it's almost literally one of those like sitting up with the two thumbs up. It's like, thanks for saving me, pal. Um, and then it's got stand-ups, you know, like talking heads of the officer, his partner, uh, and I believe one other representative of the San Diego Police Department. But the officer unequivocally says, I overdosed, and his partner is saying, and his eyes rolled in the back of his head. He was clearly overdosing all the way to the hospital. Um, and they released this, and the news ran it as fact, like the, the local news. There's, there's several examples of this being picked up and just run as fact, because amidst this kind of you know, climate of fear that I'm talking about, a, a very real fear that should be real uh, around this substance. Um, it was, it's the kind of thing where of course, you're going to like not question this. You're going to, you're going to run it. You're going to be like, oh my God, it can, you can, it can kill you just by touching it just by like looking at it, you know? Um, and so then we have some folks in the medical community coming out and saying, well, actually this isn't true at all. Um, it, you cannot overdose simply by touching uh, the substance, um, it's just not biologically possible is what the experts are saying. So let's, uh, let's go to the experts real quick.
3: Uh, before we do that, I just want to say, this is really surprising to me. And I think I fell victim to some of the stories coming out about fentanyl and officers coming into contact with it. Not this particular one, but in the past, other stories about an, uh, an officer encountering fentanyl and getting it on them and then needing Narcan just in case. And I think we even talked about it before. I when think we,
1: we did too, Matt. I think we did, too. Wow. And and here's the thing. Um, they never released any toxicology. The, the young man didn't die. The dude didn't die. Um, but they never actually confirmed that it was an overdose with the hospital. And the sheriff of the San Diego Police Department uh, admitted that he himself, not a doctor, is the one who put this out to the public that it was an overdose. And again, this video really is what you would call a public service announcement type video, you know, or almost like a yeah it's it's meant to educate but unfortunately it's just laced no pun intended with with the misinformation and these experts They were talking about uh, one of which is someone named Gretchen Bergman, who's the executive director and co-founder of an organization called a new path. Um, And a new path is meant to reduce the stigma associated with uh, drug abuse and disorders to treat it more like a psychological condition um, that needs to be treated therapeutically rather than having people locked up. Uh, And and she said um, it just didn't feel right. It didn't sound right. He had gloves on, but even if he had gotten it on his skin, he would have had to take his hand to his mouth or nose. It doesn't seep into your pores. Um, and this is backed up by numerous other um, medical professionals in various sources that, that we read or that I, that I read for this. And, you know, it's just interesting because the idea of stigmatizing drug users is something that's always kind of gone hand in hand with like the quote unquote war on drugs. And you know, the idea of mandatory minimums and treating drug users as criminals rather than people that are in need of counseling or, you know, mental health issues, right. Or, or, or suffering from mental health issues. And that's something that Biden as part of his campaign was very much about, you know, he's got a son that famously struggled with drug addiction. Um, but apparently uh, he has also quietly done um, expanded legislation that does just that imposes mandatory minimums, not on fentanyl itself, but on what's called fentanyl analogs. And Matt, you hit it the nail on the head uh, at the top of the segment. You were talking about how many different flavors and styles some flavors. I'm being I'm joking, but, you know, different like slight variations on the molecule that is fentanyl um, that. Can be considered fentanyl analogs. Uh, and, you know, some of them are way, way, way stronger. And some of them are completely innocuous. Some of them are a little weaker. But through this thing called uh, class wide scheduling, um, they are all treated the same. And it essentially amounts to I, I read a really great article on the Marshall Project, uh, amounts to a similar treatment to what was done with crack cocaine in the 1980s uh, versus powder cocaine. Essentially, what was done with crack was crack was treated much more harshly in terms of possession because it was seen as this epidemic. But it was also, I think we could probably all agree, seen as a way to harass and jail and uh, mess with members of minority communities, because if there's more crack in minority communities and more powder cocaine in affluent communities... Well, you're more likely to get longer, harsher sentences in minority communities. And, you know, you could argue the causation of that, but it seems to me like it was done pretty consciously. And the same thing is true with this. When we're talking about drugs laced with fentanyl, they can be laced with either fentanyl, proper fentanyl, like you would get prescribed, you know, from a doctor, which it is used. It's a Schedule Two drug, which means that it has a high... Uh, Instances of addiction, but also that it um, is a drug that can be used to treat it has like legitimate use to treat um, conditions like cancer and pain from cancer. Um, But the analogs, Matt, are actually receiving harsher penalties. So it requires a much smaller amount of a fentanyl analog to be found, say, laced inside of a batch of cocaine that someone's selling than actual fentanyl itself. And the argument is that this is being done in a
3: similar way targeting minority communities. What do you think? Uh, This is what I would say. Very recently, we started a show called Psychoactive with host Ethan Nadelman, who founded the Drug Policy Alliance. And was it last week? No, it was on August 5th we released an episode all about this, specifically about analogs of fentanyl and what fentanyl is and why there are more deaths from overdose than car accidents, uh, gun shootings, drownings, and a couple other things combined. And just like, why? How is that happening, right? And it was all about this specific thing, all of these different analogs, because some of them, at least from that interview and to my understanding, it has to do with the strength Sometimes these analogs are 10 times more strong than regular fentanyl, which is already like 40 times more strong than heroin. Mm -hmm. Then some of them are not as strong, but it's very difficult to know what you're dealing with, especially if you're on the user level. You have no idea, right? Unless the person you're, you know, whoever your dealer is, is a legit chemist who's making the stuff, who can describe it perfectly to you and you can understand it perfectly It's a dangerous situation, and I can see why. I can see why maybe law enforcement would want to punish the use of this stuff much, much more because it is causing so much death, right? Who you are, where you are,
1: but why? Why treat the analog more harshly than the substance itself?
3: Well, it's it's hard. I can't recall this interview completely from Psychoactive, but one of the major points is that. The year's supply of fentanyl that comes from outside of the U.S. If you imagine the shipping of shipping in of drugs, there's all kinds of creative and weird ways that that you know to reduce cartels and other people do to get stuff in, right? Yeah. Well, but also so to it,
1: reduce the weight and like have more strength with less weight.
3: One, I, I'm not going to say it correctly. You have to listen to that interview to get it. But the the actual physical amount of fentanyl that is in circulation in the United States in any given year is very, very tiny. It was like two, two small, whatever the units were, two tiny amounts. Just talking about how difficult it is to police that, right? If you imagine a smuggling operation when it's an analog, I think it's, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm imagining if they're finding that it's being produced statewide somewhere, you know, in some labs, I, I, this is all speculation on my part because I have no idea. I have no idea why they would treat the analogs that differently besides the huge variance in effect.
1: No, I'm totally with you. And I think um, legislation that would target the manufacturers and the folks that are actually bringing this in makes a lot of sense. But ultimately, what this legislation does is it punishes the street level dealers um, without really you know, having much in place to... Find the root cause. Maybe that's just because it's it's too difficult because it is such a small amount. But like, there's a there's an article about this dude Todd Coleman who got sentenced to ten years in federal prison for selling thirty grams of cocaine. Um, and the reason for that is because the crime lab found that it was laced with three illegal fentanyl analogs. One was benzyl fentanyl, um, and in fact, they uh, were incorrect. The the crime lab made a mistake. They uh, none of the compounds were a, a fentanyl analog. Two of them weren't even controlled substances. Um, but the point is, like if they found this 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 fentanyl analog, um, it is a harsher penalty than actual fentanyl. Um, hmm. And we and that doesn 't matter if it 's if it 's one of the uh, you know molecules or one of the variations that is absolutely innocuous or if it 's something like car fentanyl, which is like I think ten thousand times stronger yes. than morphine. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's just interesting. And I'm not trying to be alarmist. And I mean, the Marshall Project is a a nonprofit journalism organization that you know deals with criminal justice stuff and, and possibly is, you know, has an agenda. But I do think it's interesting that the way you can look at it similar to like crack versus cocaine. I, I think it's an interesting thing because you are going to be more likely to find um, some of these these fentolo- fentanyl analogs or some of these laced drugs in, uh, you know minority communities yeah and not minority communities but maybe from minority dealers right I, it's, it's hard to say he, it,
3: look here's the rough thing for me man somebody i loved somebody that was a fan of this show was really close to me um got sold by some street level dealer cocaine that had fentanyl in it and he died and if i could find that person uh i would i'm not gonna say it. i i I would love for that person to be in prison so that I can't get to them. Um, What I'm saying is I understand why law enforcement has that view of like this. Somebody selling fentanyl laced anything should go away, but it won't ever stop the problem because someone will always be there to fill the position. If person A goes to to prison, right? Um, So it's just. It's a, ugh, it's a terrible situation. I don't even know how to put it, man. It's just, it really is terrible. If there's injustice, there's injustice, and it needs to be taken care of. It's just uh, the substance itself is so dangerous.
1: It is, but it's also. Well, and let's also talk about the fact that many of these analogs, it's all, a, it's all a game that these like black market labs are playing to keep from being prosecuted because if you change a molecule of something and make it something that's not technically scheduled, then um, you are in fact shirking the law a little bit, but you know, I'm again, devil's advocate here. I'm just trying to look at both sides. So there's the crack cocaine, you know, um, analogy, but then there's also like, well, if you pre-schedule all fentanyl analogs, even ones that haven't been invented yet, then you are potentially, lowering the incentive for higher-level manufacturers and dealers to lace their stuff within the first place. Hmm. So that could be seen as, a, as, as a, you know, uh, a positive version of this. But I also don't understand why there's so many other things to lace your drugs with. Why would you lace your drugs with something that will literally kill your customers? I, I've never understood that.
3: I just, you just need so very little, right, per whatever you're selling. Per dose, per use. So, I mean, I think that's why it's, I don't know, I'm not not an expert, but it certainly seems like that's why. Because it's very, very strong and you need very, very little. So, let's just say you could have pretty terrible cocaine, but a little bit of fentanyl goes a long way in that case.
1: I guess that's true, but it's also like, I mean, fentanyl is a depressant and cocaine is a stimulant anyone that uh, anyone that thinks oh my gosh this this cocaine is great because a little bit of fentanyl is in it probably doesn't know what the effects of cocaine feel like
3: yeah sure like me but oh, uh, yeah, but, still, but, but you know same with heroin same with whatever else people are buying and using it's just yeah uh,
1: it's gross. And uh, just to wrap it up with a statistic, 60 percent of drug overdoses last year could be attributed to fentanyl. And I bet you this year because of the pandemic and because of maybe maybe it's maybe it has to do with um, interruptions in supply chains too, Matt, you know, and and things like that. And just feeling like or someone even pointed out maybe they're just trying to put another addictive substance into something to make you more addicted to it even if you don't clock the difference and the, the, the effects, you know what I mean? So yeah. that could be part of it too. There's a lot of reasons and, uh, and these are evil people and absolutely
3: should be put away, but um, just something to, there's something to consider. It's weird, man. It's weird because it's all just humans trying to experiment and get through something. Be, a, I don't know. There's so many, uh, it's so complicated, you know, right. The use of drugs, the selling of drugs, why you would maybe feel like you need to do that. Um, why some people do need to do that. Why governments take advantage of that. Why, you know, corrupt police departments take advantage of that. Why cartels form and hold power. It's just, ugh. God, I really don't like drugs. <laughs> Sorry guys. My promise. I'm not, I'm not some, uh, narc or police officer. I, I've just experienced some negative things in my life I associated understand. with them. So, uh, It literally, yeah, go ahead and do the bingo thing, because I I just don't like it. Well, um, there's a lot not to like. There's
1: not a lot to like, for sure. Uh, And we are going to take a quick pause now for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with today's last strange news.
2: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
0: Perfect home sweet home.
3: All right, and we're back. We are jumping to a, f- a weird story. It's strange news. I would call it strange news for sure. It's a little bit stale, maybe, because the original things that occurred happened last year in November and then were updated in June of 2021 this year. But the big news is coming out right now, and I think we should talk about it. Let's do it. Uh, this story has to do with money. People, people who manage budgets, people who manage accounts, and uh, what happens when someone w- with access to the funnel of that cheese uh, maybe Ooh, decides to I love a good cheese funnel. <laughs> a cheese funnel. Is it like what a happened? cheese
1: fountain like it, <laughs> yeah. at, uh, at uh,
3: Golden Corral?
1: Ooh, really?
3: Yeah, they have, that's a thing. <laughs> That's the thing. Oh. Please continue. You no <laughs> so sorry. Okay. Well, what happens when somebody who has access to where that begins, or at least uh, an access point somewhere within the chain decides to do something wrong? Well, herein lies the story of Ralph Buglisi, a 59 year old man. Now today, as we record this, who was working for the university medical service association incorporated. That's what he was working for. They are associated with the university of South Florida, and he's one of these guys who's kind of higher level manager on the money side of this organization. He just pled guilty to embezzling 12.8 million dollars. Yeah, that's a huge that's a huge amount of money to embezzle. Uh, you know, I always I always think back to a certain Mike Judge movie when it comes to embezzling money trying to take a tiny bit of money off the top of every transaction or something. Uh in this case, it was very different. In this case, Ralph was using company credit cards and accounts to just make huge payments for things. Uh payments that were very odd in general, and what according to the Tampa Bay Times, he would he would just try and mask some of these payments and invoices for large sums of money. And he got away with it for a long time. Kind of weird. I'm trying to imagine, uh, just to give an example, Noel and Ben and I, as a part of our duties, as you know, producers here, executive producers, we have to do a thing where we cite invoices, right? If we make a payment on behalf of the company for some service, some good, some recording equipment, or some studio time, we have to go through and report exactly what that is. Give a receipt, you know, give a reason for spending that money. Well, Ralph had to do the same kind of thing, but the people around him, the people, you know, who he reported to apparently were just not noticing or looking the other way or worse.
1: Well, I mean, you know, as we know, being part of a large organization like like we are, uh, this seemed to be a relatively small nonprofit corporation i mean comparatively mm-hmm. but like iHeartRadio is a massive company and uh i think we've all you know to varying degrees um uh, been behind on those expense reports and usually only get robo emails um yeah. it's not like we have someone knocking down our door saying hey where are those expense reports where are those tps reports you know nobody mm-hmm. is really doing that so it's pretty common i think for things like that to lapse Uh, You know, and that's not like anything that we're not reporting is because we're doing anything nefarious. Um, It's usually because we're just underwater and haven't gotten a chance to get to it yet. And it's usually very obvious based on what we're buying. And it's going to somebody. You know, it's not like we're stockpiling this stuff. But, Matt, this is not what was happening with this story. This stuff was going to a very specific thing uh, that (laughs) seems like it would have immediately
3: raised a red flag if not just for this reason alone. Well, (laughs) agreed. Uh, Agreed. Uh, We're not doing anything wrong. And I'm just uh, stressing that. But this uh, this guy was, and it was going to a weird place, going to a couple weird places. I'm going to start on the lower end, the stuff that's reported later in all the articles that you can read about this. Before we get to the juicy thing, Noel, if that's okay. Please, please. i um, glad I didn't spoil it. This guy is accused, according to the Tampa Bay Times, of making around $650,000 in payments To an LLC that was owned by himself and his wife, Um, like personal travel, like $375,000 in personal travel. Can you imagine traveling that much? No, (laughs) I cannot. Um, And we travel a lot, and we know what those bills about, too.
1: And they ain't nowhere near that.
3: Yeah. Uh, How about this? $190,000 in rent payments trying to think of how much I've paid in rent over the course of my life. And it's a lot of houses, a lot of places that I've rented. Don't think I get anywhere near that. So I'm wondering, you know, there's no breaking down of these numbers in these articles, but yes, in the court proceedings, I'm sure they're doing that. Um, $121,000 in house improvements. Oh, Noel, how about this? Twenty-one grand in cell phone bills. Insane. Twenty-one grand.
1: <laughs> why? What, what? What? A cell phone bill's like a hundred. I mean, I have I pay for my and my mom's cell phone bill, and it's two hundred dollars a month, if not a little less. Like, what could possibly? Uh, what? What are
3: you doing? Well, I don't. It's a know, lot of roaming. Yeah, it's a lot of roaming. He also sent hundred dollars to his wife's PayPal account. So you know that was really the the nail in the coffin there. But no, let's let's jump to the main reason why we're talking about this as strange news. This guy. Found a way somehow, and I think this is one of the one of the main cruxes of why he agreed, why he's pleading guilty, why he signed the plea agreement back in June. He was funneling money to a website called mygirlfund.com. Now, what we're gonna talk about here, if anyone's listening and there there are children or younger people maybe consider pausing or skipping forward. Um I'll just say before we go any further, this is a this is an adult website for adult things that we're gonna discuss. Okay. Okay, we'll, we'll continue. We are talking like an OnlyFans type stitch, Matt? We're we
1: talking like a Pornhub Premium. Um like uh, I just need I need the details. It's man.
3: a it's like a cam site, if that makes sense. But it's okay. also a adult like chat cam site i don't so really it's know chatterbait
1: probably is it chatterbait is that what it is the guys I, clearly I, i'm a porn
3: aficionado i don't, I, don't know what that I, is
1: <laughs> sorry i'm sorry i'm really showing my head here kids
3: <laughs> well, all right we'll stop the kids are gone what is chatterbait i don't even know what that is it's a cam that,
1: it's just a campsite it's a campsite okay. that involves communication back and forth i don't use it i'm just I'm, I'm keyed in to the internet and the zeitgeist you guys i just know about this stuff um but it, it's uh yeah it's something where you can have you know direct communication you can give gifts you can give tips you know it's it involves chatting directly and you can have you know the performers do certain things depending on how much you tip. So point being is it's not a subscription service and it could be an all bets are off thing where if you really have a problem and you're in some sort of like porn addiction rabbit hole, you could be dropping mad cash on a particular performer of your choice. That would be like uh, outrageous.
3: Well, you may think that that's what Ralph was doing, but it seems like there's something else at play as well. He, according to the Tampa Bay times, uh, we said twelve point eight six million dollars in total that he embezzled. Well, eleven and a half million of that went to mygirlfund.com. Jeez. Uh, eleven and a half million dollars. And before, you know, you think, wow, this guy just was, yeah, like you said, really into a few people and gave them a lot of money. Um, he was actually embezzling this money with, they think, authorities think, with the help of a family or or a a close family associate, let's say. I believe they said it was his stepson's fiance. Mm. They reportedly found an Excel document that showed around $750,000 in profits that they had made through somehow giving money to this website and buying credits with that money because it's like a they've got a credit system where you use your your actual currency to buy the credits then you donate those credits to the person the page of the person I so guess So this is a
1: laundering it's a cover up kind of kind of thing or yeah, yeah it's it's
3: this is that's why I want to talk about it it's really it it's just something that I don't have a full understanding of but I I'm interested in because it it reminds me of some of the scams you can do with a gift card that you would buy totally from somewhere. And then you put money that's kind of ill gotten onto a, onto a card like that. Then you use that card or you can cash out that card. Um, It's kind of like that. Only they were funneling it through this particular website. So whatever they did, because we don't know exactly, we know that they were funneling tons and tons of money through this website. The question is, whether or not the the people who run the website and the finances of the website had any idea it was happening, because surely that was a large, tr- like those are large transactions. I'm assuming, yeah, yeah. right. Or was it were just was it just the two of them working together? Uh, how else were they funneling this money through? This is what we have from the UMSA, according to the Tampa Bay Times. Um, this full the full report that was generated found that the internal controls, you know, after all of this stuff went down, right? Uh, and several people got fired, including Ralph. Ralph got fired. His, like, an auditor got fired and a, another superior got fired. This is what they found. Their controls for preventing fraud were weak. The university's internal audit team identified numerous transactions where he was just processing entries in a way that concealed his actions, and it says they have since, quote, implemented enhanced control structures, including upgrading financial reporting systems to better protect against criminal acts. Okay, uh, Good Good on them, I suppose. That's great. Right. <laughs> After a couple, you know, 12 dozen million dollars uh, just goes out the door.
1: I just feel like I mean, my credit card company cuts me off if I spend too much money like out of state. Like, how are there not like obvious, like red flag, you know, like algorithms built into these massive financial, you know what I mean? I mean, same with uh, the iHeart. Like, for example, like we we have corporate cards that we have to use sometimes and we were just at a conference and I had to pay for a bunch of hotel rooms for other people. I got a red flag email from, you know, our finance department. Uh, I think it was auto-generated and then it was forwarded to me by an actual human making sure that these charges were legit. And I said, yes, they're legit. But it was me, the potential fraudster, that was saying, yes, these charges are legit uh, for reasons. <laughs> so I suppose if that same thing happened with our guy here, it could have been a similar situation. But
3: it just all of these just seem so suspicious, every single one. Yeah, it's, it's some weird stuff. And I'm, we're not even going into all the details here. But I, I'm going to read you <laughs> uh, this last thing, which is... So where did this money come from? He's working for a nonprofit associated with the University of South Florida. They they seem to be involved, at least from my understanding, with staffing. So staffing a lot of the organization's needs. Um, there's medical, really big medical schools there. It says, according to this article, the stolen money, quote, came from the funds generated by patient care and Just wait for it. No state philanthropic grant or research money was impacted. So, you know, just the money that patients were going in for procedures and for healthcare, that's all that was stolen. Uh, (laughs) But I guess from the company standpoint, that means that's basically their profits. It's not the, you know, the money they were holding for any other major reason. Freaking wild, dude. Really weird stuff. (laughs) What's the stuff they don't want you to know? Well, there are a lot of people who are somewhat connected to the financial processes of companies across the world, and it makes me wonder how much of this stuff is happening on what kind of scale, right? Is it really tiny stuff? Are we, are we thinking office space level here, or are we thinking what the office space Guys actually did, (laughs) accidentally, right? And stole millions and millions of dollars. It would be really cool to know if you've ever heard of anything like this, if you've got an interesting account of something like this occurring, or maybe even an historical example, we would love to hear from you. Yes. And we'd also love to hear from you about your thoughts on the treatment
1: of fent- fentanyl and fentanyl analogs and of, you know, whether you think um, doing these kind of stunts, well-intentioned or not, that the San Diego Police Department did um, is a good idea or, or what. Uh, please write to us. You can find us online at all of the usual social
3: media spots of note. Yes, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. We are Conspiracy Stuff. Also on YouTube conspiracy stuff on instagram we're conspiracy stuff show oh hey and by the way if you know anything about hermit crabs and other crustaceans and the whole thing with oceanic plastic waste uh that ben was talking about we definitely want to hear from you too so don't forget that part please uh if you don't want to find us on social media and you don't like the stuff we do have a phone number
1: that's right, it's one 833 You got three minutes to leave a message uh, Please let us know what to call you Give yourself a nickname, we can call you anonymous Whatever you want um, And try to stick to that three minutes And we will potentially use it on one of our weekly Listener mail episodes
3: Yes, 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 and if you don't want to do Any of that stuff, but you still want to contact us Please send us a good old fashioned email We are Conspiracy
1: at iHeartRadio.com
5: searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iheart radio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote there's no distance too far for the perfect trip
2: hi checking in for
5: or the perfect table
2: hey where are you